Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, financial statements and cash flow analysis. Before we begin that, as is the tradition, we have a look at the numbers. And here we go. Okay, you tell me, bull day or bear day? Bear day. Don't ask a question, you say bear day. Rawr. This is a bear day. I mean, this is a decent bear day. I mean, this is, oh, this is a serious bear day. Isn't that nasty? The Dow is down more than the, I can't read these numbers for heaven's sakes. The Dow is down more than the, uh, no, yeah, it is. No, it's not. Sorry about that. I couldn't see that number. The Dow's down three quarters of a percent. The S&P 500 is down 0.88%, and the NASDAQ is down the most, 1.33%. That is the typical pattern. The riskier the companies, uh, the more reactive they are to market news. And the market news, interestingly, the market news isn't that bad, uh, but, well, well, here's over here. We got crude oil has punched up through, and it was heading north toward 90 a barrel. And finally, the markets are beginning to figure out what's going on. The whole thing is about, um, excuse me, Russia, and Saudi Arabia made an agreement to cut production of oil to boost prices. And that is, that's of course scary to the markets. They begin to have an excitement about that because energy prices going up, slow down economic uh, recoveries around the world and, and such things as that. However, it won't last for a couple of reasons. One is that all that's going to happen from that is prices of oil are going to go up and Russia is going to see the opportunity to quietly crank its oil production back up to make hard, uh, to make hard currency. And that will cause the supply to go up, price will go down. And not only that, no one else in the OPEC plus uh, uh, group agreed to cut oil production. And so as the price of oil goes up, they're just going to increase their production because they can make much more money off the higher oil prices. That again will increase the supply and not very, it won't take very long for the price of oil to come back down. And so the markets, are, they're probably figuring that out that this is only temporary and you'll see oil, uh, the price of oil go down again. Right now, you're not seeing gas prices reacting, at least not yet, 
because there's a lot of gasoline in the pipeline. There's also a lot of the other of the distillates like diesel. So the supply of the end products is still fairly good. So you're not going to see this at the gas pump for a little while yet. And ultimately, if you follow the logic of it, these higher oil prices are going to induce increased production, even by the one of the two countries that made this agreement to cut their production to cause the oil prices to go up. Russia is in very bad shape as far as hard currency is concerned, and so anything it can do to earn more uh, euros, more dollars, whatever, they're going to do. So don't panic. Gold, as you can see, there's not if you look at gold, the gold bugs aren't thinking there's an apocalypse. They're not in the market driving the gold price up either. Silver's down too. Now here's an interesting thing. Uh, you notice that the euro, it was, it had made it up to $1.12 per euro. And it has depreciated significantly from there. It went up and then down and then back a little bit up today. But overall, both the euro and the pound, British pound, are depreciating again against the dollar. So, uh, you know, the dollar is a strong currency and it's even stronger right now in a lot of ways because our economy is showing good signs of staying uh, okay for the time being. Now, the inflation numbers are easing off but there might be a temporary rise in the consumer price index, the CPI, simply because the gas prices might go up, energy prices might go up for a month or two, but it's nothing to panic about. I say these things to you because as you hear me say them, I wanted to get inside of you to start thinking this way in terms of the logic of markets, the science, not the feelings and the opinions. Just think about the supply and demand dynamics, the risks and the possibilities for future expected cash flows. Notice here the 10-year bond, it, the yield spiked up hard but then it tailed back off again. So we've got the yield going up by two basis points. That means the price is going down. Price would be going down because bondholders are selling. They're getting out of bonds. Interestingly enough, they're obviously getting out of equities too. So what's the final, what's going on? The players are pulling their money off the table and back into their money market accounts to wait and see what comes next. Let me show you something here. This is the volume on the Standard & Poor's 500. How many shares of all the stocks, all those 500 stocks have traded? And if I look here, the average volume is 3.9 billion shares on an average day over the last 52 weeks. So far today, and we're near the end of trading today, only 1.4 billion shares have traded. That is a, you know, a third or between a third and a half. So that tells you quiet. The markets are not active. That means that this isn't the stock price is going down. Isn't some apocalypse, a sell-off, a, a wide sell-off. It's just players coming off the field and just sitting back and saying, 
nope, we're going to see what happens next before we put our money back on the table. So as you can see, again, notice the average day, 3.871 billion shares. Today, near the end of trading, only 1.398 billion. That's a quiet market. So when you look back up here at the these skids, these slides downward in all of these different numbers, they're on very thin volume. So it's, you can't say as much as you could if the volume were high. If the volume were robust and these numbers were going down, that could be a little scary. But in this case, not worried too much about it at all. And if you go over here and look at the Nikkei was actually up for the day. Uh, it bounced around a lot. And even the um, FTSC, it started out down and then it crawled its way back almost to flat by the end of the day. So the glo globally, there's not any kind of a panic. And so these drops in these numbers, no matter what they say on the financial talking heads networks and on the financial blogs, it's nothing to worry about. It's a down day, it's a bear day. Great, the bears had, a, had some fun, but it's, we're still in relatively a bull market. Now, go over here. Let's look at a few companies just to keep you on track with knowing how to read screens because again, you're going to have this on your midterm. I'm going to show you a screen of some company. I'm trying to think what I could do today that would be of interest to someone. Um, oh, let me, a local company, Rivian. You notice earnings per share is negative, so there's no PE ratio. Beta is not being reported because the stock is too young. Obviously no dividend, all you can see it's, it's a tight bid ask. Here's what's weird though. Look at the volume on an average day compared to the volume today. That slide of almost 1%, that is on really thin volume. There are a lot of players staying away from this stock because there are rumors this way and that way. Rivian's, Rivian's heading to hell in a handbasket. I keep getting this rumor that Rivian is a takeover target, which would, of course, drive the price up. So there is a lot of money staying away from Rivian right now, just waiting for a better view of what's coming up in the future. Can't say much more about Rivian, but we can go to some of the bigger companies, like, for example, ExxonMobil. Ah, the bid and ask are screwed up. Yahoo, thank you, Yahoo. But looking overall, notice that ExxonMobil is near its 52-week high. And it's up today. Oil prices are up. So Exxon's going to, of course, say we have to jack up our prices of everything because, my God, look at the price of oil. Price of oil goes up a couple of percent, so Exxon raises its prices by 10%. P.E. ratio, the beta is a little above one, a little risky. P.E. ratio is talking, this is a an undervalued stock right now. So what does that say to you? A lot. 
and not much. And EPS, they pay a decent dividend, not bad at all. 3.21% yield, a $3.64 check in the mail. Now, we're going to go through the exercise again. If you haven't gotten it yet, then you have another chance to get a calculator that will help you do this. So if you want to have a calculator out of some kind, by all means. And give you a chance to get it out. Now, this is a one-year holding period. Yahoo says that if you bought it today, in exactly one year, it would be worth $122.73 per share. So you divide that by what you invested today, $114.40 about. So you take one, the one year, 122.73, divided by the current. And then you minus one, make sure you minus one. Don't forget to do that because you'll get an answer that's very wrong. So, now if you want to turn that into a percentage, just times by 100. So the capital gain, how much the stock goes up as a percentage, is 7.28%. But they also have a dividend yield. So if I add that yield in, 3.21%. Yeah, it's not bad. About 10.5%. I mean, I'm not really excited about that because that beta is a little above 1. I kind of hope they'd do a little better than that, but, you know, there's your, there it is. Let's go someplace else. Look at... Um, Nope, private, that's right. Um, Kroger. Kroger. If you bought it, you would pay $45.35. If you sold it, you'd pay $45.34. You get those straight, you've got a couple of points on the midterm just looking at them and quickly typing in the numbers. Um, well, interestingly, it's actually kind of close to the middle of its 52-week. It's a little closer to the bottom than to the top. But at the trading, overall the market is trading slow. On an average day, 4.6 million shares today, only 3.1, consistent with what's going on in the overall market. It's a quiet day. Now, if you look over here, the beta is saying this is a really a safe stock. Kroger's been around forever. It uh, sells staples, uh, staple products, the kinds of things that people always buy. It's got a wide a customer base, loyal customers who go to Kroger, that's where they go to shop. So now interestingly the PE ratio is says it's undervalued. Eh. 
And notice that it actually was up today. So there may be some price pressure. It, it, investors seeing it's undervalued, just kind of carefully buying in a little bit. And it's, it's a profitable company at $3.48 per share earnings. And the forward dividend, 2.58% a yield. So now let's just do the same thing again for Kroger. In a year, if you buy a Kroger today, in a year, Yahoo is saying you will have a stock for the value of $50.60. Now you divide that by what you paid for it today, your initial investment, 45.28, and then you subtract one from that mess. Oh, decent. Times, oh wow, times 100. So the capital gain yield, how much you make off the stock itself going up in price is 11.75%, not bad at all. If you add in that dividend yield, which is another 2.58%, oh, look at that, 14.33%. And that's on a beta that's half of the volatility of the market. So you can see that just looking at these simple numbers, you don't have to use fancy computer algos and uh, hire investment advisors. You can look. This, at least right now, it looks like a better deal than Exxon. It's just, you can see, relatively speaking. It, there's no absolutes here, but if I said, well, what would look better, Exxon or Kroger, Heck, Kroger looks darn, darn nice. Very safe stock, good, a decent dividend. So, you, I mean, even, the, even if the stock doesn't go up in price very much, at least you got your dividend check. And there's some, uh, and I've seen other analysts say Kroger's definitely a buy right now. So that gives you a kind of an idea of how you use what I'm doing here in your own lives. And ultimately, if I can do anything in a class like this, I can show you how you can turn what, what we're learning and learning how to apply objective methods to get real world uh, strategies, real world directions in your uh, life. So there you go. Uh, and I, I won't beat it over the head too much more today. Now today, there is, I, I am teaching about, oh, oh, let me point out something. There is an Excel sheet assignment for this that shouldn't be there. It's the personal taxes Excel sheet. I'm trying to make it go away, but it keeps coming back like some kind of zombie. Uh, don't do it, okay? Just leave it alone. There is an Excel, a couple of Excels you do have to do, but not that one. Today is one of those dark days. I in my uh, classes, dark for me. I'm teaching something terrible. I'm teaching accounting. Now, every time I do this, I think, do I want to teach this class or do I want to just kill myself? <laughs> and I'm still on kind of, I, I've, I've stepped in, and I left my razor blades in my office, so what the hell, I'll do it. <laughs> it's not that bad.
I, I keep trying to be nice to accountants. Let me show you something. Accounting is vastly important. However, in finance, we have to take the numbers and twist them and change and alter them and put them in different ways in order for us to be able to use them in finance. But in order for you to be able to do that, you first have to know what the accountants have created. And interestingly enough, I'm going to go over here to this site, and I'm, this is a little bit more of a formal introduction. The Securities and Exchange Commission, sec.gov, write this down, sec.gov. Any company that is public, in other words, it can, it can sell stock to the public and all that kind of good stuff, access to the capital markets, uh, better access to the money markets and all that kind of stuff, it must report on a regular basis to the SEC. And it does so through an electronic filing system, company filing search. So let me go back to make sure, right down the path, sec.gov and then filings, company filing search. This is the path to the Edgar filing system. Long ago, back when I was, I was a consultant, I did this for companies because every public company had to report. It had the standard reports that it had to do and then some reports of if unusual things happened, but they all have to report on a regular basis. And this, it used to be paper, and now it's electronic, and I've said all this before, but they all have to do it. Now, in this, I'm going to use an example of a company, not a fake company, a real company. The caution, and I've said this before, and I'll caution again. It used to be that the accounting statements had to have exactly look almost identical from one company to another the same entries, the same names of the sheets, and all of that. That's not the case anymore. And I, I'm honest about it, I don't know when this happened. Because when I was still doing consulting, and even for years when I was teaching this, it was still really standardized. It is not so standardized anymore. And I'll show you in a minute here. The first company I'm going to bring up, well, the first company I bring up, I might not even be able to use it as a teaching example. I do this on purpose. Oh, watch. Ugh. A company. A company. What company? Um, anyone got a company? Don't say Tesla. Boeing. What? Boeing. Boeing. What is Boeing? Oh, for God's sake. I'm going to have to do it this way. I don't look at the airline industry. Nice one. Make an ass out of me, will you? <laughs> Seriously. Boeing. 
How do you say bow? Yeah, I was going to say it's not boing. It's not responding. Bow. Oh, it's not. Oh, yeah, now you don't help me. Okay. <laughs> really? Is there some reason the internet sucks today? Yeah, that's no, no, yeah. Um, okay. It's BA. It's BA. Fine. Boeing airline. Okay, the BA. Boeing. Now I got one thing you got to be careful of. If you just type a name into that little panel for it. You could be surprised that sometimes a company, there will be more than one company that has the same name. I've, I mean, I even got burned by this once. I typed in Lowe's. I was looking at it for an investment. And I saw Lowe's and I just said, yeah, go ahead, show me the financials. And it turned out after I had already gone through for about 20 minutes, I thought, this isn't Lowe's. And I realized it was another company that had the same name. Another company that's like that is Sears. Sears, there are a lot of different Sears. Many of them are just subsidiaries of Sears, of the original Sears. But anyway, go, we've got Boeing, we're over here. 10Ks. Now I'm going to go down to their last K filing. And I'm going to, the, don't click on the hyperlink. Click on the button filing. Make sure that you're putting this in your notes so that you can go back and track this. Now you're going to be taken to a screen and there will be a little blue button about halfway in the middle called on the left side interactive data. Click on it. Now you, there's a, this whole yellow panel a, uh, an accordion panel, we used to call it, where you could look at financial statements and all the different ones. You could look at them this way. But as I've shown you before, every public company must provide all of its financials in Excel format for anyone to see. Anyone. That's be what it means to be a public company. You must be willing to live in a glass house Forever. Oh, quit it. Okay, enable editing. Now I'm going to walk through here with you for a minute, and we're going to look. Statement, consolidated statement of operations. That is a popular term to use for what is called the income statement. One of the five big statements. But notice that that one isn't going to do it. There, consolidated statements of comprehensive income. This is that problem. They don't have the same name. Some of them will call it consolidated statement of operations, consolidated statement of comprehensive income. Some of them will just call it their income statement or the profit and loss statement. It's not standardized the way it used to be. Now this will give you three years of data on the income statement. 
Now before I do anything else, I'm going to prowl around here and try to find the balance sheet. Nope. There we go. Consolidated statements of financial position. That's the balance sheet. Some companies call it the balance sheet. But new Boeing has to say something fancy about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to scoot this guy over here to put it with my uh, balance, with my income statement. If I could get this thing to stop flopping around, darn it. So I got my income statement, my balance sheet. Two of the big ones. Now I'm going to have to scoot around here because the next one I'm going to look for is the statement of cash flows. Well, I'll be darned, they call it the statement of cash flows. A little caution, old school, does anyone know an old name for the statement of cash flows? Do they teach you that there used to be a very different name for it? It was called the sources and uses statement. I, so if you're looking through old financials, you might run into it, some companies that called it that back in the day. But there's our statement of cash flows. Now I'm going to drag that one over here with the balance sheet and the other and the income statement. And then I'm going to go prowling. Statement of equities. Nope, that's the one I'm looking for. Now, statement of equities. Is that the one I want? Good God, they make a mess out of that. Nope, that's it. Boy, that one's a mess. Good grief. Huh. Well, I guess that's the one. Okay, statement of equities. The other, another term for that is statement of retained earnings. That's what it's called in the book, I think. That's four. Income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flows, and statement of retained earnings. But there's a fifth one that is not mentioned in the book, and it's hardly ever mentioned even in accounting classes. But my experience, both academically and in consulting, was that there is a fifth one that hardly anyone thinks about. Does anyone know what, I'm, what statement I'm talking about? It's called the notes to the financials. In the notes to the financial, everything is explained and it has all these hidden gems in it about what some of the numbers mean, how they got those numbers. In fact, when I, just briefly, one of the things that I did as a consultant was I would take dead companies, little dead companies that had been public companies at one time, and they had died sometimes 50 years ago. But because it had been registered with the SEC, it could be brought back to life by certain tricks. And so you could bring it back to life, but it didn't have a trading symbol. 
So you would file a, re, a request. It was like an application. It was called the 15C211. No. Yeah, 15C211. With the NASD, the National Association of Securities Dealers, applying for a trading symbol for this dead public shell. Now, when I do that, there was something that I was taught by one of their, one of their compliance officers. In the, in the um, notes, she told me, you make this your last note. The assumptions in these accounting statements are based upon going, the going concern uh, doctrine. This company may not be a going concern and investors are cautioned to view these financial statements appropriately. In other words, a normal financial statement. Look, let me show you something here. Consolidated statement. Let's get over here. Income statement. There we go. This one I don't want there. I want to get rid of this one somewhere else. Okay, look here. I want to get this out of the way. Okay, let me show you the income statement. Statement of operation. Look here. You see that total costs and expenses line? That has a lot of accrual in it. In other words, I say I'm not, I paid you a salary, but I haven't paid it yet, but I can say I paid you. And then it goes on what, I, what really happened is my accounts payable went up. My wages payable went up. That would be assuming, doing that assumes that the company's going to be here next year, next quarter. You see, and that's all companies when they report, there is this going concern assumption behind what, what's on these financial statements. And that in that note that I put in these dead little companies, you might not want to believe that. These statements are assuming that the company will keep going, but it's so miserably dead that might not happen. But as long as I put it in the notes of the financial statement, I'm covered. I can't be sued. The company can't be sued. Okay? So that's kind of an important thing to think about. Those notes. The notes will also mention things about executive compensation. They will also make notes about stock options and, uh, and stock that was given to the employees and uh, ESOPs and things like that. So those notes of the financial statement, even though I'm not gonna go trying to prowl through them here, just know that if you are going to do this kind of stuff for a living, those notes are a wellspring of information and they are also where you can cover your butt on what you say in the numbers part. Most people stop at the numbers. Sometimes you need to go beyond the numbers. Okay, now, this here thing is called the income statement. It's not a good one. Look how summary it is. It, it's, it, it's not good at all. It's, but we, this is a, otherwise, you would call this 
cost of of goods sold. Okay, notice they don't call it that, but that's what it is. Cost of goods sold. So, you take this line minus this line, you get gross profit. That's essentially retail minus wholesale. How much is left after you've paid for the products? Then you go here, this one's weird, there. S and general and administrative expenses. Another name for this one is selling general and administrative expenses, SG&A. But again, they don't call it that, but that's what it is. Used to be we had to, in fact, it used to be the case that you had to break down SGNA into each of its parts. How much of that was uh, your light bill? How much of it was your wages and salaries? How much of it was your mailing expenses? How much of it was meals and entertainment? We used to have to break it down heavily. But now you can just put this on there and that covers it. So where would you find out where the components were? Well, spank me. That's in the notes. So that's, again, why those notes might be useful to keep in your back pocket or out here in the worksheet someplace is because that would break it down for you. But they don't have to report it up front. A lot of companies don't. Another one I forgot to mention. See this gross profit? Sometimes it's called gross income. Also, a lot of companies don't even report it. They don't even show that line as one of the, uh, on the income statement. They just go right by it, even though that's kind of a, a useful line. And so if you see uh, me go into a company, which I'll try to do here by the end, and I don't see that gross income line, I will insert a line and put it there and then take revenues minus cost of goods sold. Going down further, there, this is a mess. Uh, from beginning to end, this one is, and I so regret. Okay, loss from operations. That is the same as saying operating, whoops, income. And in Boeing's case, it's negative. Another word for this one is earnings before interest and taxes. E-B-I-T. So you can hear it called um, loss from operations, gain from operations, operating income, operating loss, operating profit, earnings before interest and taxes, 
or EBIT. It can have all kinds of names on these modern financial statements. It's enough to drive you crazy sometimes. I, I was actually pawing, feeling around there, and I just didn't expect to see loss from operations. But there it is. Interest and uh, debt expense. So the next line, most of the time, you would see that called earnings before taxes. As I told you, there's another uh, a loose name, informal, we call it pre-tax. Pre-tax. Net loss. Net income, net profit, net loss, earnings. That, you know, it's got a lot of different names. A lot of different names. And this one was a little bit more, this one's a little messier than I was expecting. Consolidated statement of financial position. The balance sheet. I don't know, are they still doing it? The income statement is a flow and the balance sheet is a stock. Are they using that? Look, the income statement shows you how the river flowed through a period. In this case, how the river of money flowed over the course of the years 2022, 21, and 20. The balance sheet is saying what collected at the end of each of those periods. So when you look at the balance sheet, this was its final position at December 31, 2022. Do you jog? No. Run? No. Dance? No. God! <laughs> Bicycle? No. Oh, for God's sake. You? No. <laughs> Uh, okay, you sir, have you ever jogged or run? Yes, I have. Good. Uh, you look kind of athletic. I mean, you know, man card issued. Okay, but you're, you know, you're running along, and the income statement is you, and the balance sheet is this giant wall that you didn't hear because you had white sticks in your ears and you were saying, rocks and boom, and there you are against the wall. That's the balance. That's your balance sheet. Okay? So at the end, we can see all the pieces of you. Ooh, his muscles developed. I see that his pancreas is in good shape as at the point you hit the wall. I can see all the nutrient levels and everything like that. Okay? You really should have eaten more fiber because that part's a mess, man. <sighs> anyway, okay, you follow it? Okay, that's the balance sheet. I'll bet you'll never hear it described that way again in your life if you're fortunate. But it's sort of like where, where it stood at the end of the period that the income statement was describing. Now, <laughs> this is the one that gets me in trouble too often. The consolidated uh, uh, statement of cash flows. The statement of cash flows. 
Okay. I don't know if I really want to even do this one by my example. The statement of cash flows explains how basically you got from the running position to the wall of splattered you there. It's telling where everything was going. That's why the old term sources and uses was so descriptive. It said, where did money come from on the way in? Where did money disappear to? Because at the end of the day, look at what the last line of this thing is. Cash. It's, notice here that the cash for the previous year Stood at the stood at eight thousand fifty-two dollars, and it had gone up to fourteen thousand six hundred fourteen dollars. Now look back here at the balance sheet. Well, butter me, my biscuits and call me delicious. They're the same number. That's explaining how it happened, how that cash got from where it was one year ago to where it is now. That's what all the statement of cash, everything in this confusing mass of numbers, really, was just telling how we got from one cash position to the other. So in other words, notice here, okay, we were, uh, we were bleeding at the end of 21. We were bleeding more at the end of 22. So, what that, okay, so how did that happen? Okay, we've got, uh, God, only, God only knows what some of these are, but we contributed, notice that very little happened. That looks like some kind of a pension plan. Very little happened there. Okay, we can almost pretend that didn't happen. But see this, depreciation and amortization, that went down. So that kind of explains what happened to some of our cash because depreciation and amortization doesn't really happen. So it didn't really happen less than how much it didn't happen the year before. God, I hate doing this. Do you get it though? Okay, we okay. Uh, anyway, I'm going to give up on that. But okay, we charged this much off a year ago. Through this year, we charged off more. Okay, that that happened. Now, the ones that are kind of important to us: changes in assets and liabilities. Look at this. Our accounts receivable changed in a dramatic way. I don't even know what the heck a negative accounts receivable would be. People prepaid for their tickets at Boeing or something? I don't know. But you see, accounts receivable explains why actual money doesn't happen. Think about it this way. In my own business, I went into a show last year my accounts receivable stood at about $4,200. I came out of that show 
with my accounts receivable up to $5,800. Okay? That would mean that what I say I made on this show, $1,400 of it actually didn't become cash. $1,400. See, let me explain it again. If I walk into a show with $4,200 in accounts receivable, and I walk out with 50, with, I can't remember, I think it was 5,600, yeah. So in other words, my accounts receivable, I extended credit to the tune of $1,400 through that show. The only way I would extend credit is if I made sales. So I listed how much money I made in sales, but $1,400 of it didn't happen. That's why it's not so much the number as what the number changed. This hurt my cash flows. This hurt Boeing's cash flow. See how this is not really cash flow, even though the revenue said it was cash flow, there is money there that wasn't actual cash flow. Oh, actually, they got actually got some payments in. So that was the other way around. Okay, depreciation and amortization. Now, accounts receivable, uh, unbilled receivables, progress billing. I don't know what the hell that means. But look at, why did their numbers negative? How can you have negative inventory? What, was it in another dimension and it comes back? Wow, this one's a mess. But the one that we focus on in finance is down here, investing activities. Taking it down here to the bottom line, notice how their capital expenditures went down dramatically from this year. How much they spent on big stuff went down from 9.3 billion to 4.3 billion dollars. That is a hell of a drop in capital expenditures. Boeing pulled in its horns massively during the year 2022. And that's kind of, you would ask yourself, what the hell happened? They, like, half as much. So these are clues that we need to look for in the statement. Statement of retained earnings should not be this complicated, but here we are. And I will go through that in a better way with another company. But that's essentially, that gives you an idea. Four big, uh, four, actually five big statements. The book focuses, and your accounting classes, focus on the four, the income statement, the balance sheet, and I should be writing this down. The income statement, the income statement, otherwise known as the profit and loss statement, the balance sheet, statement of consoli uh, consolidated st statement of position, then the statement of cash flows.
And then finally, the statement of retained earnings. And then, in parentheses, I'll put notes to the financial statements. Like that. I'm going to kill off a uh, that one, and I'm going to go back here. I'm going back to pull up one that is a little bit more tamer. Now, one that would be kind of fun, but there's a problem with it, is Target. Target has I pull up its financial statements, and they're really nice, very traditional financial statements, except for one weird thing. Watch this. Target. 10K. Interactives. Bring in the financial, bring it in. And here's Target. That is Target, right? Okay, good. Now, consolidated statement of operations. Really nice, but notice something, first of all, it's not a bad thing. Do you see that the gross income line is not there? If it isn't there, put it in. And that's not just for this class today or this week, it is for something we'll do later where we do ratio analysis. Um, insert gross income. And then what I can do is just say equals that minus that and then crank it through. Notice something kind of nasty about Target. Do you see how its, its revenues have been on a nice upward trend, not violently upward, but nice? But if you take into account wholesale costs, look at the gross income. It's actually slid. It's dropped. And that would... The only thing that could, if the revenues are going up, the only source, the only thing that could be causing the gross to fall would be wholesale costs. In other words, Target is being eaten alive by rising wholesale costs. The next question is, what the hell? Why don't they just raise their prices in lockstep with their costs going up. If your wholesale costs are going up, pass them along to your customers. Why did that not happen? Now you tell me. Why, if their wholesale costs are going up and it's killing their gross income, why don't they just jack up their prices at the retail level? 
to keep, okay, wholesale costs go up by 10%, we'll raise our prices 10%. Why isn't this happening? What is keeping them from doing this? Speculation, go. They'll lose even more business from the high prices than they're losing money with the wholesale prices. Very good. They got competitors. Now, I've told you I am a target hoe. I go there, okay? I just got these shoes. Look at these. Sketchers. 35, okay, size 10 wide. Okay, but, yeah, some people, they're loyal customers. But they, there's also a problem. Uh, Target's base is younger, more professional people, like you. Uh, people who are in college or have, in the last 10 years, graduated. Ten, five to ten years graduated from college. The problem with that crowd, your crowd, is that you tend not to be, have developed many loyalties. You got brand loyalties to a certain extent, but as college students, my God, you know, you're you don't have the money uh, to buy the nice shampoo. Well, I, I bought it when I was making money, this really nice shampoo that makes my hair fluffy and tossy. I mean, at, when you're in college, you'll pick a, huh, this one washes body, hair, washes your clothes, yeah, can be used on your car. Hell, I'll buy this. It's $1.99. So in other words, their customer base isn't loyal enough to sustain price increases. So in other words, they have to eat that. It's just one of the risks of the business. So, and Target had, doesn't have market power to say to its wholesalers, you stop this. Some companies have the power to do that. Walmart, if, I mean, if you don't, if you raise your prices and they don't like it, they will make you exit from the multiverse. I've seen what they can do to companies. I consulted for one that was trying to get a chance to put its products on Walmart's shelves. It was just, it was evil the way they, they treated that company like dirt. But okay, now, SGNA, okay, that one was fine. Okay, anyway, we're looking at the financial statements not as numbers, but as why. I'm trying to get that through in a finance class Honestly, if we could get the answer to why without looking at numbers, we would be overjoyed. But we have to look at the numbers, but we can't stop there. Well, those, these two lines, this column and this column, they, uh, they are equal to each other, so we're done for the day. Lol. We can't do that. We have to keep going. Now, notice SGNA. See, they use one thing that I love about Walmart's financials they use very traditional names, like selling general and administrative expenses, depreciation and amortization, operating income. Now I'm going to show you another one. Um, I think I'm going to put it up here. I'm going to insert a line. Now this one is useful to us. Earnings before interest taxes depreciation and amortization EBITDA 
This one, you calculate what happened before those phony numbers of depreciation. They weren't really there. The only reason we put them in is because we get a tax shield from them. They take down the amount of income, that, uh, revenues that would be taxed. So in this case, I would say that this would be equal to gross income minus your SGNA. Okay? Now notice that that is a higher, a larger number than the operating income with depreciation and amortization subtracted out. It's a more realistic picture of the operating position of the company before interest and taxes are paid. It's just something you'll see it a lot. It, as a matter of fact, I've run into quite a few corporations that are kind of obsessed with EBT, EBITDA. EBIT is the traditional one, but the EBITDA is out there and it's used enough that I bring it up to you here. Okay, so now, anyway, the rest of it is a nice story. Earnings before income taxes, this is pre-tax. EB, EBT, pre-tax, earnings before income taxes, and there's the number right there, okay? That is right before we calculate our net earnings. <laughs> Notice what happened. Target net income was rising, and then it took a toilet break. Why did it take a toilet break? It was those wholesale costs. That was what killed it. Is Target in trouble? Oh, hell no. But it does, it, and it's visible to us where Target has a problem. What is not visible to us is right away is what the hell are they going to do about it? Because it is, I mean, hell, it took their net earnings down from the high in 22 at the uh, end of 21, beginning of 22 they knocked more than half off their net income. That's a bad thing. And what's even worse about it is that wasn't an accounting thing. That was a real pay the suppliers thing. So that's where the real issue is. So when you look at Target for an investment for the future, you look for them to make statements, public statements, we recognize this problem and we are addressing it by these methods. Not just, well, we see the problem, we're taking care of it. No. If they want investors who are smart, they're going to explain how exactly they're going to fix that problem. Notice how much I'm getting out of these, in, these financial statements before I even really do any heavy lifting mathy, just a few subtractions here and there. But I am getting to answers. Now, one thing that I want to bring up here. Um, over here, consolidated, where the hell is their balance? Oh, there it is. Do you see, some, do you see something missing? Okay, first of all, 
Notice their current assets. This block right here. Current assets. We're going to put these in a nice, pretty peach. I like peach. You see it? That's your current assets. Now down here, your accounts payable and all those, those are your current liabilities. And we'll put those in a kind of a blush. What the hell? Did I just smoke something? <laughs> Look, at my age, when things disappear, that could be a stroke. Okay? So get off me when I act worried. What? Will you quit it? Oh, I see what's happening. Did he take that bottle? That was a really excellent bottle. Oh, I see what I did. I didn't click the wrong I clicked the wrong thing. Okay, now current assets minus current liabilities. That's called working capital, net working capital. Net working capital. Now, you'll see in the book that there's another term, net operating working capital. That's where you're taking out things that are in the current assets or the current liabilities that aren't operating, operational. And I, I just did this this morning in my short-term financial management, uh, cash management course. Now up here, look at these, uh, look at the receipt, look, look at the uh, uh, current assets. You got cash and cash equivalents. You got inventory. You got these little bit of other current assets. Do you see a line? You've had your accounting, financial accounting. Do you see a line that's missing? I can't use these financial statements to teach you. And by the way, we'll spill this into next week. I'll extend the deadline for this homework a couple of days too. But do you see something missing? Receivables. The accounts receivable line isn't there. Well, is that in the other current assets? No, there's no way that's large enough that it could have receivables. So why isn't Target? I mean, that's FASB. That's generally accepted accounting principles consistently applied. Receivables should be in there. It's a new trick. If you look carefully in the notes and in item 7 of the whole 10K, they're using a separate company for their credit purchases. So they don't show them, and it just doesn't show up here. That they're, essentially, it's a way of of off loading so that they don't impact your financial statements. This is a lot of accounting for one day. That's all I have for you. I thank you.